FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 181 of the podcast that goes snicked. I'm your host, Jason, Lucasfilm Reject Venable, and I'm joined once again by flashback co-host extraordinaire, Cameron, let's do the Sally Chomp Sinclair. <laughs> nice. Hey Cameron. I'll take it. What's up everybody? Pretty good, pretty good. And of course we're here for a flashback episode. Flashback. <laughs> And it's time for The Brood 2, Alien Boogaloo. I guess I should emphasize it, Alien Boogaloo. Boogaloo, I like that. Yeah. And just for the for the record, for the listeners at, at, at there, I'm going to have a brooding face the whole time during this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and, they, and the space bugs are back, the original Starship Troopers. That's um, right. Hence the Lucasfilm reject comment. Right, yeah. So, um, as you may remember, if you're a, a long-time listener of the show, the original Brood Saga is not only one of my favorite X-Men stories, it's one of my favorite comic stories of all time. Like, it just has that something special, kind of really shows who the X-Men are, and it's just really, I don't know, it's just a really beautiful story. Um, and now the breeder back for the first time. This is their first first uh, striking back. Um, so we'll kind of, I guess, see how it goes from there. Um, the brood strike back. Yeah, the brood strike back. Um, this one's a little bit shorter. It's uh, three issues. It runs from Uncanny X-Men 232 to 234 in uh, the summer of 1988. And so, summer of '88. It was the summer of '88. I wish there was some better connection to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we're going to talk about the the Brood mini saga this time. That's now, right. Cameron, do you love the original Brood saga as much as I do? Maybe not as much as you do, but I do love it a lot. Fair enough. Fair enough. And we'll see uh, when we get to the end what we think of this one. So, um, I think we alluded to having this conversation last time, but we already had it off air. <laughs> so I just mentioned that Cameron and I, before we recorded, talked about uh, Captain America Civil War. And um, I finally saw it, and we both love it. Very, very good. So go see it. That's right. Um, let the record show let the that record we show. gave it two thumbs up. That's right. And Pat, I'm uh, still working on X-Men Apocalypse. He had asked what we thought about it. Um, and of yeah, course, I asked too, Pat, and Jason hasn't seen it. So yes. we can both keep hassling him until he goes to see <laughs> it. Indeed, indeed. But Cameron did really like it, Pat, and we'll, we'll elaborate more on that in the future. That's true. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's get to some brood. Let's get our brood, brood. on. Brood on. 
Brood 2 Alien Bugaloo starts off in Uncanny X-Men 232. Um, this is Earthfall, written by Chris Claremont. Pencils by Mark Silvestri. Inks by Dan Green. Colors by Gwyneth Oliver. And letters by Tom Orzakowski. And our cover is by Silvestri and Green. And it's a pretty great cover. It's a pretty gnarly looking close up brood face. And yep. Silvestri's brood is pretty, uh, pretty ugly in a good way. Like just pretty monstrous and intimidating. And yeah, it looks like the brood should look. Yeah, like like a giant snake head with shark teeth and yeah, it's like snake eyes, shark teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Crocodile nose or snout. Yeah, like, lots of gum. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, a little bit of so. slobber coming out of his jowls. A little bit, so. but not too much. No, not venomy. He's not venom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but well, you know, I can I can see some. Um, we haven't got it yet. Uh, in fact, I think this is in Marvel concurrency we had just gotten Venom's debut so we've never had but I can see some some similarities between this and Eric Larson's Venom which comes later yeah I can see that too so I don't not saying he copied this I'm just just saying there's <laughs> some some definite similarities so anyway he's thrown down the gauntlets yeah yeah Eric Larson you fool pulling you out Eric Larson All right. <laughs> Yeah. I didn't notice because I've been reading along in my other Marvel books that I have. And I found it funny, you know, because we did a few episodes back, the issue of the Hulk that McFarlane drew. Yeah. Right? And so when McFarlane left the Hulk before the next guy started, Eric Larson did a fill-in issue. Oh, interesting. McFarlane leaves Amazing Spider-Man. Eric Larson follows him with his run. Interesting. McFarlane starts Image. Eric Larson goes... To, no, to be fair, I think they went at the same time. But but just, just pretend that Eric Larson yep. followed Todd McFarlane but, Image. At and, least minutes before. Yeah. And now, in current time, you know, Todd McFarlane created Spawn. Eric Larson is now drawing Spawn. How about that? Yeah. So I'm assuming that Todd McFarlane's the pit bull and Eric Larson's the little yappy dog that runs around his feet. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. Yeah. Though let the record show, I'm, I'm just kidding. I like both of those guys, um, at least nostalgically, for sure. And probably yeah. probably for real. But it, Maybe... That, Maybe Eric Larson's really bad at job interviews, and so and so McFarland's just his really good friend, and so they always apply for the same jobs, and McFarland gets it, but right. then McFarland talks up Larson, so when he leaves, they hire him. Maybe so, maybe so. Could be. That's a very positive. Spe- I like that. That that's that's a, a faith in humanity speculation. So there you go. All right. Well, anyway, back to uh back to Uncanny X Men two thirty two. So we get some nice X-Men recaps to set up the timeline of Sharknado 
in space, space, space. I didn't really remember all of these things happening at the same time, but I don't know if it's trying to say that the all, all these things happened at this moment. I think they must have been pretty well, maybe close. They did. It seems like the juggernaut thing was was before. I think the issues were before, but I think because Wolverine and the Storm went off on their own. Remember, they stayed oh, They stayed in the States while the other X-Men went to Muir Island. That's right. So I guess it could be at the same time. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. And then Havoc and Polaris are apparently country dancing? Well, they're in Paris, New Mexico. Yeah. Not to be confused with Paris, France, or even Paris, Texas. Yeah. Don't yeah. confuse it with that. Which at least Paris, Texas has a tiny little Eiffel, Eiffel Tower. I'm going to assume that Paris, New Mexico has... Sand. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that. Whatever New Mexico has, <laughs> brush. Yeah, <laughs> <And a> brush. <laughs> Lots of meth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding, New Mexico. Right. <laughs> so anyway, then we get a Sally Chomp special, as the shark. We get a big chomp on Sally. Poor Sally. Hey, do you think when uh, in this first panel? Where the people are sitting by the microbus, when he that he calls them cruisers, is that a group name? Is this, is this Paradise Cruisers or what? Oh, I don't know. So is this like Eddie and the Cruisers? This is like a club of fifty street racers that are driving <laughs> a microbus. I guess so. Or yeah, it must be. It must be their travel club. I guess so. I thought that was a really random thing to insert here and, and never come back to. Right. <laughs> There's no point of it, no meaning. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but then the giant space shark eats Sally. Giant shark lands. Yeah. I gotta say, I think it's really weird. For one, the the, the guy, the, the paramedic guy, is it's kind of being a dick because he keeps making fun of this the lady for running off and it's like everything she does he's just like oh brother don't burn yourselves really patronizing to her <laughs> everything that's happening and then the other lady sally starts poking the shark and yeah. said and they say hey you shouldn't do that and she's like oh come on you're letting all those sci-fi flicks you love get to you but i gotta say a giant shark just landed on the ground I don't think that it's overreacting for a person to be freaked out. <laughs> She's like, oh, giant shark. Oh, this can't be anything negative. Right. <laughs> then, of course, she gets eaten. Yeah. Someone posted on today, and I'm sure has made the rounds or whatever. There's a video of a guy uh, petting a cr- an alligator. <laughs> and he's like slapping it on the nose. And then when the alligator, you know, like opens his mouth, like threatened, you know, yeah. to, like stick his hand in and out real fast. And then of yeah. course, about the fifth or sixth time, the alligator just bites his hand. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. <laughs> that, made, that made me think of that. <laughs> yeah. And it's a big shark too. Yeah, it's a big space shark. It's, a, it's their ship. You think this is where Sharknado came from? Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. Well, I mean, Sharknado in space has to be the next thing, right? That's, it seems to me that's the only place they can go. Right. Now, I think, didn't they already fall from space in the last one? 
Because don't they get inside the sharks? And so when they re-enter the atmosphere, it, oh, yeah, it I burns up the shark and knocks them. Now, I can't remember. Now, granted, the only thing I know about Sharknado is what they've talked about on how did this get made. Yeah, I've never watched them either. I, I just listened to the podcast about it. So. <laughs> I do feel like they said something about space in the right. last one, but... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yes. out of the shark comes some brood, and the brood attack the campers. And um, Harry Palms, oh. Oh, oh wait, I mean Harry Palmer, <laughs> escapes, or does he? <laughs> and he just leaves the girl. And oh, he's yeah. a paramedic. The girl falls on and gets hurt and says, help me, I'm hurt, and he just bails. Yeah. And we, we'll find out why in a little bit. Well, yeah, but still. He um seems like not a very paramedic thing to do. Nope. Yeah, he gets in his micro bus and tries to run havoc and Polaris off the road. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so uh, smash cut to now, and Harry is an EMT in Denver, Colorado. He helps a dying mutant by stabbing him with the worst ingrown fingernail of all time. <laughs> Madeline Pryor sees Scott and Jean on TV and skabams herself to sleep. <laughs> Harry comes home to find the X-Men waiting, who somehow knew he was a brood. So that's why he probably left the girl. He was he was a brood. Well, not yet. The brood takes time to hatch in his body. I don't know. I mean, that the thing he ingested the mutant with was a brood panned. No, but I mean, when he bailed on the girl. Oh, right, right, right. But the brood was probably already starting to affect him or whatever. Maybe. I don't know. I mean. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Anyway, uh, for those keeping score at home, the the Wolverine tracked him from New Mexico from the crash site. (laughs) I guess after, I the only thing I can think of is after the bus almost ran. Havoc and Polaris off the road. They called the X, or they like went and found the dead space shark, and then the dead brood called the X Men, and then Wolverine's like, "We got a live one, bub," and they they followed him to Denver. Yeah, I got a question for you, real quick. Okay, does the brood come from the space shark? Yeah, that's or their ship. The, or is the brood? Oh, oh, that's right. And they that. travel in the, the giant. Space fish and the space sharks. So they have like the really big like space whale. It's like their master ship or whatever. Yeah. And then the, the sharks are like their fighter ships. I forgot about that. That's funny. I don't know how I could have forgot that. That's yeah. such a crazy part of the brood story. <laughs> uh, I think that the whales are called like Ascari, I think. Yeah. And I don't remember if the sharks have a name or not. Um, I don't remember either. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Yeah, so I guess they probably maybe they um, followed where the sh- the bus came from because they thought, well, this guy's driving crazy, so let's go. Well, you think they would Instead follow of- the bus. Like, hey, let's not let him hurt anybody else. But Yeah, it seems like maybe they would stop him rather than follow where he was going, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But, um, and we don't, of course, this is all speculation. We None of this is actually explained. Yeah, they literally just show up and know that he's a brood. Well, and no, Wolverine, I mean, Wolverine does say they tracked him, but yeah. we have no idea what the X Men were doing in New Mexico. But yeah, we don't know why he tracked him, right, why how they, they knew the it. broods crashed to Earth, like yeah. nothing. Um, how long it had been? 
Yeah. Yeah, we, we have no idea. Because if when that other thing happened is when they're fighting the uh, the World War Two guys, the the uh, Crimson Commando and such. Crimson Commando and, and what's, what's their team? Uh, this the old farts. <laughs> uh, whatever. The old anyway. American farts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll go with that. Okay. That was a little while back, so it's been yeah. a little bit. And even like in story time, we've had like the whole fall of the mutants thing. Yeah, the so, Nazi I mean, storyline. Yeah, so it's been at least at least a couple of months, I would think. Yeah, and so did, was Wolverine tracking him all that time? Or I was, was the guy sent been lingered that long? Right. Lots yeah, of questions. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't explain. really make sense because there's no effort to explain it. Right. They tracked him. Wolverine smells it. We get it. Yep. So lots of fighty fighty. Eventually, Wolverine <laughs> and the X Men corner Harry Palms in the alley, but then the ugly brood people patrol shows up. Turns out there's a whole bunch of them. Um, a whole bunch of brood in Denver, Colorado. A whole brood of brood. A whole brood of brood. Yep. So. Uh, again, point out, just like the cover, that on the interiors as well, Sylvester's brood is just nasty, and it's just good. Yeah. It's really cool. Particularly that panel of him choking the guy with the beard. Uh, that's just yeah. a really just... Oh, man, it's great. It's a great panel. I love <laughs> I love the sloppy second summers that we get here. Um, as Madeline starts to fall for Alex, since... Cyclops, since Scott ditched her, she'll just go with the kid brother. Yeah. I also thought it was funny that she's working on a new X-Men logo, but she doesn't want to yeah. use the X because she doesn't want to blow their cover. Because remember, everyone thinks they're dead. Yeah. Yeah. I, that was pretty funny. Her her star that she's drawing, though, looks a lot like, and I think she comments that it's Dazzler Longshot, but it also kind of looks like the Kree star a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I thought it was funny that it's like she just sees them on TV and then just all of a sudden understands everything and that what happened and that Scott loves Gene more and then punches this big giant computer screen. (laughs) Had she never seen Gene before? Because I feel like... It doesn't sound like it from the way she says, hey, that's me. Right. It's Gene Grey. So like, I think that's the first time she's seen her. Right, so I guess that, no yes. one ever showed her pictures because I know that like her and Scott fought. Like, are you just in love with me because I look like your dead girlfriend? Yeah, well, I think maybe she didn't know that Jean was really was actually back. Right. Yeah, but either way, she's she's. I think her anger is pretty justifiable here. Yeah, no, I I didn't mean that. That I just, I guess uh, it's just quick how quickly. She goes from, like I say, she quickly realizes everything that happened. You know, it's like, oh, this is why he left me. Turns out she's there. I still think she's not nearly worried enough about her kid. That oh, still she... that still bothers me about the, the all the whole all the stuff with Madeline in the last several issues. Well, she sent a message on the news that Scott might hear someday, for him to go look yeah. for the kid. 
but especially this part where she's like, I got a haircut, I'm all fixed up. Right. Got a new dress. Your kid's still missing. Right. (laughs) I don't know what what she's trying to do. Yeah, no wonder he grows up to be Cable. Cable. All right. So I have, um, actually, I'll, I'll save that later. Well, so I think that uh, so uh, Silvestri gives us a new sidewalk costume. Yeah. Much prefer it to the calf curtains. The I calf curtains are gone. Sa- on her, on her. So I do kind of miss the little sashes on her legs. Yeah, the calf curtains. They're gone. Yeah, the calf but curtains. now she has a cool, like, almost Dungeons and Dragons type cloak. Yeah. She looks like the, a character in the, the old Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Yeah. It looks like uh, one of the, I don't remember which character, but one of them, the one that looks like that. <laughs> yeah, right. But no, I dig it. I think it's quite a bit better than what we've had. Yeah. And I like that, I don't, it's interesting that it's armored. She talks about it being an armor. Well, at least the cape part, yeah, for sure. Definitely, it looks like chain mail, almost. Which, yeah. That, you get heavy, wearing a big chain mail cloak. Yeah, you'd think so. But, good stuff. Yep. Uh, so on page 22, someone asked if they can trust Wolverine Sniffer. Like, <laughs> really? It's Wolverine. <laughs> yeah. After all this time, are we still then, debating this? Yeah. Then the panel of him disappearing into the fog is really great. Yeah. It was really good. Very swamp thingy. Yeah. Could have been a little bigger, but maybe it wouldn't have had the same effect if it was too detailed. I don't know. And then, so, after some of the fighting, of course, Harry Palms runs through the town. They get on the bus. He tries to affect Rogue. Uh, Wolver- uh, Wolverine punches through the window of the bus and pulls him out, throws him around. There's a part where he says, he, when he corners him in the alley for the first time, he goes, end of the line, bub. And, like, his shadow is really great. Then we get an awesome, like, just quintessential Mark Silvestri snicked. Yeah, and just just the fist and the claws, and it's just like uh, shining the yeah the gleam off the off the blade. Yeah, we'll see that a lot going forward, but it's really great. Rogue's got her Wolverine hair again. Yeah, it's back in full effect. But even bigger this this issue. Right. Yeah. And then the uh, the panel where Wolverine attacks the cops, that slash panel on the hood of the police car is amazing. Yeah, it's very cool. Great panel. That's kind of all I had. What What do you got? Um, I don't really have anything extra. There is one thing, but I'm gonna I want to save it and come back to it. Oh, because okay. they do they do it again later, and so I want to talk about it later. Cool. Well, I thought the art was great. Yeah, I agree. Great looking book, and I thought the story was pretty good. A little bit of kind of setupy in feel. Yeah. Right, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, I liked that they. I like that they did it back in time and that they didn't try to set it up with the brood arrives and they figure it out, you know, and that it, all the real time, Nate, that it was like, this has already been happening and right. it's been developing. And so now they're just now finding out about it. Yeah. I liked that about it. I mean, you know, but yeah, uh, it's good. Well, what are you going to grade on Kenny X-Men 232? Um, I'm going to get it. I was kind of irritated by the Madeline Pryor stuff a little bit. Okay. Um, so it kind of detracted a little bit from what was going on. But overall, I, I, I think it's still 
it's still probably a five for me. Okay. I'm going to give it the exact same grade. <laughs> there you go. We're, we're back. We're back together again. Back in sync. Back in sync. Back streets back. All right. Oh, I was debating whether to do that one or boys are back in town. <laughs> Both. Yeah. Or reunited and it feels so good. That, that too. That too. So we're going to move on to Uncanny 233, which I want to point out, as it says on the cover, starts uh, the summer double shipping schedule for Uncanny X-Men. Yeah. And some of the, so the more popular Marvel comics also got this. Um Amazing Spider-Man, I know, also double shipped. I'm trying to remember what what other were the first books to do this. Um, a lot more titles would do it the next the summer of '89. Um, I can't remember who else did it in '88 because um, I've been reading along some other stuff. Daredevil didn't. I think Hulk might. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Uncanny and Amazing Spider-Man, who which are the two ginormous titles at Marvel right now. We're both both started double shipping this summer. And yeah. Alright, you ready? Yeah. Yeah. All I'm right, ready for uh Dawn of Blood. Dawn of Brood. Yeah, so um writer Chris Claremont. Completely same creative it. team. We we just skip it. Okay. Same <laughs> No change, not even a color or a letter change. It's completely the same. Not a single change. All right, same people. So, yes, Dawn of Blood. Uh, we open up with well, the cover. Let's talk about the cover for a second. Yeah, so we open up with the cover. Oh. You uh, open to the cover? My cover's on front. That's true. I don't know why I said opened up. Uh, with a brood throwing a car at a colossus that is throwing a car, about to throw a car. Yeah. Uh, in this case, the brood looks a little dinkier, I think. A little bit, yeah. Than he did in the previous one, just because the feet and the hands are really thin. Right. And this is where he looks more alienish. Like Xenomorph? Yeah. Yeah, make the movie Alien, Aliens. Looks more like that um, than than what in the previous comic he looks. But uh, but yeah, it's it's still a cool cover, I think. Colossus looks cool. I like the motion of the car throwing. Yeah. Brood looks looks good. Looks different and not as cool as he looks in inside the comic and and the previous comic. But I think still looks cool. Yeah, I remember seeing this cover in the comic shop uh, when I was going through back issues, and I was like, okay, I gotta get this one. Pretty cool. Yes, nice action. Yep. All right. So what happens in number two thirty three? Good times. Okay, so we open up. There's a lot of back and forth in this issue. A lot happens in this issue. Yeah, it's pretty busy. We uh, open up back in that alleyway in Denver where the brood brood is arriving uh, and surrounding the X-Men who actually kind of look like they're just chilling, Just kind of an interesting. They're not like in fighting stance necessarily. They just kind of look like they're just hanging out in the alley. Right. Except Wolverine, but he's always in fighting stance. So. <laughs> uh, but they're ready to go. Uh, we find out pretty quickly that uh, Harry Palms, what did you, you call him? Yeah. Harry Palms. <laughs> Why would they name a guy Harry Palmer if they weren't making a masturbation joke? I, you know, I don't know. I, it has to be. It has to be. Yeah. Um, that we find out that he had targeted mutants and turned them so that the brood now all also have powers. 
Yeah, I thought that was really interesting and kind of uh, very interesting. We're talking about it more, but it kind of gave it a different take because this wasn't just a regurgitation of the original story. Yeah, it made it made it a different story, a significantly different story because each each brood now has their own characteristics, their own personalities, and these powers that make them way more much much more of a match for the X Men. So. Anyway, fight ensues. Uh, we get lots of fighting playing out at some pretty early on. Storm almost gets taken over by some mutant, some brood using pheromone. I forgot what the name was. Temptress. Temptress using pheromones. <clears throat> and Storm almost gets turned or taken over, whatever the word for that would be. Uh, and then she freaks out and flies up in, in the air. And everybody says, what's Storm doing? Um, then a brood touches Rogue's skin, and so Rogue, of course, used, her power begins to absorb the brood, but somehow that allows the brood to get control of Rogue, which then allows the brood to go through the mind link to then also get control of Psylocke. I'm not sure that fully made sense, but it worked. <laughs> and so the brood takes control of Rogue and Storm... I mean, uh, Rogue and Psylocke. Yeah. But not... In the way, not in the turning them into a brood, just controls their mind. Well, with with her mutant power. So, yeah. so I guess what happens is so when Rogue absorbs her power and her personality, then she carries on their mission. I guess. Yeah. yeah well, that's, I think it, something about the brood, I guess, <laughs> being so powerful that it took over in the same way that it had took over the host's body, it starts to take over Rogue's mind too. Right. So, and then through the mind link, then somehow it gets control of Psylocke. So uh, they attack Wolverine. The X-Men are struggling, not so much Wolverine, but the rest of the X-Men are struggling about what to do because they don't want to hurt the brood because they're afraid they don't want to kill the human hosts. Right. They're not sure if the human hosts are still there or alive or what, and so they struggle with that for a while. The brood realize that and take advantage of it, of course. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, now Wolverine, on the other hand, doesn't have the same qualms we saw in the last issue where he kills the cop that turned out to be a brood. And so the brood focus on him, locking him up with some guy named Tension. The names get, I think, worse and worse throughout this comic. Oh, I thought his I thought his name was Lockup. Uh, oh yeah, Lockup. There's another character named Tension. Yeah, this guy's yeah. named Lockup. Yeah, um, they're all very, all very, very on the nose. Even more than normal for like new characters. Right. But anyway, so yes, they they catch Wolverine, and we assume that they're going to try to start turning him into a brood. Um, then we cut to the Red Rocks Amphitheater live at Red Rocks. I thought that too. Yeah. And uh, where there's a church setting up for Easter. Um, now what's going to... on? What's that? Is that what's going on? Oh. Yeah, it's like a televangelist. Well, it does say sunrise service. I didn't connect that to Easter, but yeah, that makes sense. Oh, I guess not, maybe that's not specifically Easter, but I think it is, isn't it? Well, anyway, yeah, but it's definitely a preacher on a crusade. Yeah, either yeah. way, preacher doing a big sermon. They hear about the report of the fight. And then there's a paramedic setting up, which I thought was very ominous, of course. Spoiler right. alert, we're proved right later. Anyway, 
William, the preacher, and his lady, they never give her a name, uh, discuss the fight. And they the preacher really takes a very progressive yeah. view of mutants. And spends a while really talking about how he believes mutants are like humans but different and how people see them as a threat towards towards human hegemony, which I thought was a great term that he used. Yeah. But that he doesn't think it's really a threat because he sees mutants as the future, which I thought was a again, a very progressive view coming from a character where humans are usually definitely not that view. Right. Which I kind of thought they would reveal him as a mutant at some point, but Oh, interesting. Yeah, and definitely kind of had that in the back of my head. I yeah. I really thought I was surprised, especially for the eighties, and especially compared to like God Loves Man Kills, how kind of complex and I normally in these types of stories when you have a, a religious leader, it's like super fundamentalist, hateful, like one dimensional. Well, Especially a big name, what right. is apparently a big name preacher. Yeah. I mean, the, the reason everybody hates televangelists is because of the 80s. This right. is right at the point <laughs> right, when exactly. so many of those guys started going crazy. Right. And it's, so, yeah, I thought. So I Claremont kind of flips the script and gives this guy yeah. a, lot of, a lot of depth, a lot of complexity. Like, right out of the bat, he's. Whether you agree with his belief system or not, he's, he's immediately a sympathetic character. And you know he is in line with what you feel about the X Men, and so. And by the way, his wife's name is Hannah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I agree. An interestingly progressive view from this uh, preacher. So, all right. So we cut back to Denver. Uh, the city's trash. There's a reporter um, trying to film it. This is where he makes your uh, in beginning credits ca- uh, name. He calls one of the broods a, a Lucasfilm reject, which was pretty <laughs> funny. Uh, then the reporter's van gets smashed. He thinks his other crew might have been killed, but he's mostly upset because he's off the air now. Yep. Uh, we cut up to the space, space up into the air, excuse <laughs> me, uh, where Storm is dogfighting with um, a uh, brood named Dive Bomber. <laughs> and uh, the brood rips up a plane. To try to force Storm's hand, it works. Storm shows up, saves the plane, uh, but then the brood uh, sucker punches her, basically knocks her out, gets ready to turn her too. Now we cut back to what they call God's country, but turns out it's in God's country. <laughs> sad eyes and crooked crosses. That's right. But it turns out Madeline Pryor is just having a real weird dream about Scott where he's mowing the lawn and she has angel wings and everything's perfect. He's not mowing the lawn. He's walking a baby in a stroller. (laughs) Are you sure about that? I could have sworn he's mowing the lawn. I'm I'm positive that. Do you normally put your babies on top of your lawnmower? Let me pull this picture up real quick. It's a stroller. I, don't I know think why this I says a lot about Cameron's child care capabilities. <laughs> I don't know why in my mind I thought that looked like a... Just like grab that a, kid to the lawnmower. It'll be fine. That's funny. All right. Well, it's less less weird then than I thought it was, but it's still weird. <laughs> um, yeah, because if you have optic blast, you don't need a lawnmower. I guess that's true. You just, you just um, mow that shit with your eyes. And so in the zap, dream, everything's zap. going great. 
they're smooching, they're having the perfect life, and right. then Gateway finds Madeline Pryor's body on the floor in the computer room. Right. And so he decides to join the dream. <laughs> in his warm so cloth. In. I'm assuming he's ready to have a sexy dream. I guess so. He is only wearing a shorts, underwear, whatever he's wearing. Loincloth, I guess. Yeah. Um, so he gets in the dream and he starts spinning his little thing around, uh, which in the dream does a, more than just open a gateway. And in this case, it turns the dream all wacky. He blows up their house. Scott shoots gateway. Gateway turns into a faceless mannequin. Scott starts making out with the faceless mannequin. And then he basically takes Madeline Pryor's the baby her hair, her features, everything, and puts it on the mannequin, creating Jean Grey, leaving Madeline a faceless mannequin. And then he breaks up with mannequin, with Madeline. Um, Madeline Mannequin. Madeline Mannequin, by telling her that she's not a mutant like him and that she's not special because she's just human. And then she's left in what it calls a nowhere place, which I thought that was a cool, cool way to describe that. So we cut back to Denver, more fighting. In this case, the uh, dive bomber shows up with uh, Storm. Harry Hands says that they already put a warrior egg in Wolverine, but for Storm, they're going to put the queen in her. Havoc finally decides he's got to do something, and so he kills dive bomber. He kills dive bomber, Colossus, which then also blows up a building which Colossus then walks out carrying a dead brick bat because he hits like a brick bat. That's what that guy said. Oh. Again, on the nose names. Um, so two brood are down, but the brood start to rally. Uh, Dive Bomber then turns, as he's dying, turns back into his human form and Havoc gets real bummed out about it. Uh, but then Storm says, you know what? That guy died the second the brood implanted the egg. So if anything, you put him out of his misery all life is precious, but sometimes you got to end it. That wasn't her words, but that's what I added. <laughs> that's the gist. Yeah. My version of that. So, <laughs> and we end with a pretty cool panel of Storm with her cape flapping in the wind and Colossus and Havoc kind of looking over the body of the whoever dive bomber had had been. And Storm says, "The earth is doomed." <laughs> Indeed. So I love in this issue we get more 60s Batman sound effects from Mark Silvestri. Yep. Yeah, we're getting more and more of that. And I only had one other comment, so... Okay. <laughs> that was when, when the dive bomber was attacking the plane. It made me think of that, uh, there's something on the wing from the uh, <laughs> Twilight Zone movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. I don't think I had anything other than what I went in. There wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot, there wasn't much like just weird things. Right. Or random things. It's really just pretty solid. The art, there's no particularly weird arts part parts. It's all pretty well done. Uh, Did you yeah. like the Madeline Pryor section a little better this time? Yeah. I did too. I did. I did. I thought it was. I thought the the dream was weird, but I thought it was kind of cool. I liked the, uh, the the symbolism of it. Well, and it really late, and this is one of those things that you always wonder. And I'm sure 
there, there are interviews where Claremont has answered this, but and it really kind of lays the groundwork for some, or lays the foundation for some future stories. And yeah. you wonder, and, and some like stories that that evolve and go over a pretty long time. And you wonder how much of that he had in mind at this time, or how much he just kind of said, "Ooh, that works with that." Like I can pretend that's what I was doing there. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. But and well, well I mean. The saga of Madeline and Jean and Scott is is far from over, and we'll have a lot more to say about it through the the coming issues. But yeah, I thought it was a nice touch. I thought I thought the idea of Scott like stealing her and basically giving her to Jean, yeah, as Madeline kind of feeling replaced, like was really a really nice touch. Yeah, I did, and really expressed Madeline's fears and her feelings about being human. And and all the things about Jean that looked just like her, but she was better, like a better right. version of Madeline. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was good. I also liked we were talked about it already, but I liked the preacher section. At first, I was like, "Why is this guy talking so much?" Um, but I think by the end of it, I felt like it was uh, it was a worthwhile moment of uh, of uh, soliloquy. It's not the right word, but moment of, of um, exposition I guess right. about what mutants mean and what the uh, existence of mutant means to humans and to, for a different take I guess I think that's what's important what's interesting about it is to have a different take from not your mutants like Moira or your humans like Moira or Madeline who were with the mutants but an outsider right that's not a mutant there's no mutants around him necessarily just has this view about the uh, mutants as the future so I love the art in this issue. Yeah, there's a lot of great panels. Yeah. And the story was also really nice. I really, we talked about it already, but I really like the idea of the brood infecting mutants and like yeah. almost seeking out like their own, instead of going after the X-Men originally, like almost like this kind of like, let's make our own brood X-Men. <laughs> almost <laughs> like, you know, the X-Men have beat us before, so let's find some other mutants, you know? And Yeah, right. Then if we, we come across the X-Men later, well, we can take them, but let's build up our own thing first. I, I, this thought was really interesting and kind of definitely a different take. Yeah, I agree. All right, I'm going to give I'm gonna give another five out of six claws to Uncanny 233. I'm actually going to give it a six. Okay. I, I, I was on the fence. Because I thought this was really good and really enjoyable and really nothing in there where I was like, oh, brother. Right. So yeah, I don't give a lot of sixes, but yeah, I was I was close. I was right there. So, all right, well, let's end our mini saga in Uncanny X Men two thirty four. Um, this is called Glory Day, just one. Okay, this time we have guest inker Joseph Rubenstein. Ruby. 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 Soho. And the cover is by Sylvester and Green. And this cover is just something else, man. This is... The coloring on this is amazing. So basically, there's like this purple and black background. Almost like a light shot like in Wolverine's on a stage. And there's a purple spotlight on him. And yeah. he's all like in green and blue. And he's kneeling in the spotlight. And his claws are out and he's in agony. You can kind of get a little hint that something's going on with his arms. And then his face is like 
out from under the cow is coming this big like brood alien face and the teeth and I, I think this cover is amazing yep I concur completely and it's a great design but to me the colors really sell this cover yeah yeah I agree that the the purples and the blues and the pinks it all works well very very well yeah yeah, it's really nice. So I would encourage anyone to go go check it out. If you're not reading along, then just Google Google the cover to Uncanny 234. Well worth your time. Like the Brood and Wolverine. You can't hardly get a better cover than that. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so this one. The X-Men continue to fight the mutant broods in the Mile High City. Naked Madeline goes on a dream quest where she runs into Sim from Limbo. She picks the, uh, or uh, Demon Barney in a trench coat or a vest. I mean, um, I think he looks more like uh, the uh, the guy on the Goonies. Sloth. Sloth on the Goonies. <laughs> right. So if Sloth and Barney had a love child, which <laughs> they probably did. Yo. Um, anyway, she picks the wrong fingernail and in turn gets a sexy evil outfit. <laughs> Live at Red Rocks, the preacher laments his wife's sickness and stands up for mutants. Uh, Wolverine's healing factor is fighting the brood infection. Yeah, so as part of the fight, Rogue and, I guess, is it Temptress? Yeah. Yeah. Are flying Wolverine around, or flying brood Wolverine around, but his healing factor is fighting, basically treating the brood implant like a disease which if you remember that that happened in the original brood saga as well um that the brood was not able to quite take him over because they couldn't get past his natural defenses so he stabs tentris and rogue throws him down and he <laughs> gets tossed down a mountain basically some of the other ugly brood guys have psylocke in the back of a car uh that part's kind of rapey but then colossus stops the car uh, there's some more fighty fight, lots of fighting. Um, get some more dazzler finger guns. Some long shots show up. Uh, then we get some really cool stuff where Wolverine kind of stumbles down this mountain into Red Rocks, like yeah. in the middle of this crusade. And he's all torn and tattered, and he's fighting the breed. But he's, he's you know, I I really like what they do here because. Obviously, he fell out of the sky, so his healing factor is working overtime just to heal his injuries. Right. And so it can't focus as much on the brood part, so the brood's starting to win. Yeah. Uh, or dominate a little bit. And the healer sees him, or the, not the healer, <laughs> the preacher sees him, and he's, he, he starts to call on his faith. He's going to try to, like, pray and cast this demon out. And, um... thinks it's drugs. Yeah, he thinks he's on drugs because he's obviously out of touch a little bit. <laughs> Don't know any drugs that do that. Drugs make people crazy. If anything, it would prove that the preacher's on drugs and having hallucinations. Yeah. But like, well, I just dropped acid. Right, right. This is pretty normal, but... <laughs> and then we kind of have a comedy of errors, so to speak, where... um. Right as as Wolverine's about to go full brood, never go full brood. Um, 
is Huey Thatcher kicks back in, he reverts back, and coincidentally happens at the same time when the preacher is praying. So the preacher yeah. thinks that he healed Wolverine. Yeah. Or that God healed Wolverine, however you want to want to say that. Yes. And then Wolverine's of course is Huey Thatcher, the the breed with the stretchy arms attacks the preacher, Havoc fries him. That's tension, I think. Yes, I think you're right. And Havoc and an oddly pensive face says, didn't even hesitate that time. <laughs> what they say is true. Once you start killing, each one becomes easier. <laughs> but she went from like, and that's from one to two. So yeah. he's, he's a hard, hard case son of a bitch. That's right. But um, anyway, so more, more fighting long shot. Luckily, in his tank top, saves Havoc. Luckily. 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 <laughs> luckily, he had that tank top. Right. He saves Havoc, and then the brood threatens the preacher's wife, and Wolverine crawls under the stage. Oh, he... cut. <laughs> I'm so dumb. I was like, why was there a trap door? But no, he cut out a, a piece <laughs> of the stage and crawled under the... You know, he has, he has adamantium claws. Um... Yeah, that stage didn't stand a chance. Right, yeah. (laughs) And then he cuts through the platform of the stage and pulls Harry Palms down and kills him. Yep, in a great panel. It's an awesome awesome three panels. Um, Yeah. Because he pulls him down, he he does the classic, puts his fist under the chin. Yeah. And uh, Harry Palms, he was very broody. Like goes yeah. goes back to full full human and he's like, no, please don't. I'm not. It's not my fault. I'm not trying to do this. And Wolverine, like in this almost Batman esque panel, where you just see his chin and his eyes and a little bit of his yeah. cow and like a furrowed brow. It is very Batmany. And he's like, sorry, bub. Yep. And then we get a nice snicked, and we know that he's dead. And then we get a really interesting thing here at the end, which and I don't remember if this ever gets resolved or not. I'm guessing that Claremont introduced these characters with the intention of using them again. So I'm assuming they probably show back up somewhere. I just don't remember. Yeah, it seems like he, this was there was too much with them for them to be random. Right. But so the nurse who was oddly suspicious last issue is helping the preacher's wife. And she walks off with a nice big smirk. And we have an idea she's probably a brood. Yep. So you wonder then, did she really help the preacher's wife or did she infect the preacher's wife? Uh-huh. And then we end up with Madeline on the floor and now she's bleeding out of her back for some reason. I guess. She cut herself on the glass, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. And then we get a nice house ad for the Wolverine solo series. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. At Wolverine. last it says, yes. Wolver- the Wolverine. Yeah. So I did think it was funny because when Dazzler and the, the brood crash this mile-high diner, there's like this couple that won't quit making out. And they even yeah. have dialogue that says, kiss, kiss, with little hearts in it, which... Yeah, smooch, smooch. Yeah. And they kiss the whole fight. Like, they're in the background kissing the whole time. And at one point, they stop, look up with question marks above their head, see all the destruction, and go, eh, and start kissing again. Yeah, I guess that was pretty funny. Funny? Question mark. Kind of funny. Yeah. It's clearly supposed to be funny. Each yeah. of these issues had like something like that that was like a joke. Yeah. That seems like 
probably that Claremont thought it was a lot funnier than it was. I'm going to disagree with you, and I have no basis of fact for this. I just, in my gut, I feel like that's Silvestri. Oh, yeah, you may that be he right. drew that in and said, hey, let's go with this, and Claremont's like, all right. Yeah, that and could I, be right. I feel like there's a, there's a cheese factor to Silvestri. And I don't mean that as a put down. Like, Silvestri is nailing yeah. it in this part of his career. I find there's like just a silliness, like a silly flair to his art sometimes, where he throws these things in, like almost just for his own amusement. I think sometimes, and kind of like oh, I hope the readers like this, but really, this is for me. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right, actually, because you don't see that in Claremont. I mean, Claremont has funny stuff sometimes, but he right. doesn't have like gags, goofy, yeah, like right. a zoinks. I mean, like you know, I feel like some <laughs> kind of like really. Like in the one before where the reporter's like, I'm off the air, and he's holding the thing up, and it's like, right. that's the big joke. And all the giant, like, Batman sound effects. I mean, that's, yeah, I think that's, that's something that came on with Sylvester. So I think that's just kind of the tone of his art right now. Yeah. Maybe you're right. Yeah. And then, of course, we get the ominous um, Madeline Pryor costume and, and what's going on with her, which this is going to be a big deal. So, yeah. yeah. We'll be keeping tabs on that. Um, How does she get to the limbo? Does she is she does she die or is Gateway send her there? I don't know. So so she's in this shapeless in the, form still. In the dream sequence yeah, here, and she comes to a crossroads. Yeah, and Gateway's just watching, and so the mannequin melts and she turns back into Madeline, and then she trips over a demon skull. And so I don't know if that's like. You know, like, like in movies, like especially like mystery movies, like if you pull the book out of the shelf, like it opens a trap secret door or whatever. Right. I don't know if like tripping over this demon skull, like not like is like a passage into limbo or. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I feel like regardless that Sim was seeking her out. Yeah. Or Sim is probably the right way to say that, I guess, since there's an apostrophe for no reason. Um, oh, yeah. I don't know. But anyway, naked Madeline gets out of the water, and um, Sim dresses her up in what you know we'll come to know as the Goblin Queen uniform. But yeah, he really just kind of tips her, tries to make her feel important, and acts like this is just really cavalier. Like, you want to be mad for a second? Pick the mad face. And she's like, "Okay, it's only a dream," she says, and he just says, "Wrong." Oh, okay, this is why she's bleeding. Because he stabs her with his cocaine pinky nail. Oh, yeah. And then he licks her blood, says she's tasty. And we see a little, it's hard to see because of, you have the injection of her boobs, but you also have, there's a little trail, trickle of blood between her breast. Yeah, that's true. I didn't which see I that. didn't catch until just now. So, so that's why she was bleeding in real life. Because this, this pierced her to her core I guess you would say yeah and on the picture I've scrolled to the end of the picture in the kind of Dick Tracy murder scene picture <laughs> uh, you can see there the blood trickling out of that same spot oh yeah it's on the top I too I didn't catch it on the top yeah I thought I just noticed it on the back so I thought it should have been in the back somehow but that's the only situation yep. like it's like I like that it's subtle because I don't want like 90s blood where it's like bright red and gushing out of her chest 
Yeah. But it's so subtle. It just matches kind of the folds in her dress. So it's yeah, hard to... Yeah, I just kind of missed it. Yeah, okay, yep, yep. cool. Well, I'm glad we figured that out. Um, <laughs> well, there you go. The art of Wolverine kind of staggering through Red Rocks is amazing. Yeah, it's very good. Really, really good art. The Wolver uh, Brood is cool looking. Yeah, it's great. Uh, there's a line that Wolverine says, too. He goes, only two things certain in life is he... And we get another thing where... We pulls uh, Harry Pops through the stage, and Sylvester draws a big yank, like almost a Scooby Doo yeah. sound effect. And he goes, yeah. anyway, he says, "Only two, only two things certain in life, bub, and this ain't taxes." Thought that was a really cool line. It's it's cheesy, Funny. but it's cool. Kind of one of those like 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 a a jokey Clint Eastwood type line, you know. And yeah. Wolverine's kind of already had that kind of attitude comparison anyway, so. We get two Wolverine kills on this issue. And yeah. two that stick. Because remember, so you think he killed the cop in the last issue? Well, she said he did. Oh, okay. Rogue says, you killed that cop. Oh, yeah, okay, so that's three. And remember, we had the three kills a while back, but they were resurrected. Yeah, so these that's are, true. So other than, like, monsters... For our psycho psychotic Wolverine, we haven't had a lot of on panel kills. And we have three three solid ones in this story. So Yeah. Even then that's not it's not even an on it's not quite an on panel kill either. Well, right, right. But but I guess a confirmed kill. Yeah. Yeah. So while I appreciate the crossover, why the hell is Trish Trilby in Denver? Like what's she doing there? <laughs> No idea. Uh, she's a reporter in New York that's been in the X Factor books, and so I like connecting this, like connecting the the issues, like connect, like here's the X Factor character. See, it's all connected, but there's no reason for her to be in Denver to cover uh, evangelistic crusade. That I mean, the idea of crusades. Remember, I mean, I'm I'm assuming like this is kind of modeled after the Billy Graham type crusade. Yeah. Go from town to town. So in all likelihood, the same guy was either on his way or had already been to New York. So I don't know why she's like following him around. I don't know either. And and she has the number seven on her shirt. So it's not like she's a big network news. And so she's traveling around covering stuff. It's like she's a local news reporter. Right. But in a new city now for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't wasn't real sure what was going on there. Yeah, so they make a comment on page thirty, and she says that um the the guy the preacher preacher Will is the first major religious slash political figure to speak up for mutant rights. Thought that was interesting. Interesting. So maybe that's why she's covering him because the the idea is maybe something bad's going to happen to him. Okay, but but had that happened before, like this story though? I mean, he was talking in private to his wife about it, and but I guess he was also telling some of his helpers. So maybe maybe it did kind of get through the grapevine. And here's this big, most likely otherwise conservative preacher, like. Well, it could have been. It could have been that he's already said those things before. Yeah. And yeah. Now, it's not that it's. I mean, even publicly, it may be that he preaches about that. And now, but the idea is here is, oh, you, 
a mutant attack, all these things happened around you. Do you still feel that way? And so he's reiterating, no, I still think, like he says, no, ma'am, saved by them. He says, we were, we're told your meeting, your meeting was attacked by mutants. And he says, no, ma'am, saved by them. They're pushing this idea. So it could be the idea that, that he's known now as a mutant rights supporter. Right. And so they're trying to get him. I don't know. He also looks like Jimmy Carter in that picture. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And then we end with sad havoc. He's gone from, from not, from, he's gone from innocent havoc to hard case havoc. And now he's sad havoc. Back to sad havoc. Now he regrets having taken the lives. The murder euphoria only lasted so long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And he gets all defensive about it. Like Wolverine's like, hey, good job, bud. He's like, why? He's like, kill people like you. (laughs) I'm going to be sick. That's funny. All right. So I got something kind of bigger to talk about. All right. Yeah. Well, you want. You want to grade this first, or is this like well, a, is this like a cross issue thing, or is yeah, this... it's not fully connected? It it spans several things. So okay, well, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna join you with six claws on this one. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with six. Cool. I I didn't enjoy this one quite as much as the one before, but still in the six range. Yeah, I think maybe because let felt like less happened in this comic. Yeah, yeah, it was a, a little bit quicker read for sure. And I don't like the sim stuff. I mean, I, I know it's going to do a whole lot with that. I know it's a big point, right? But I just don't care for it. I think the sim looks stupid. Uh, I do think he looks stupid, and I don't really care for him. The idea of him being the tempter to Madeline, I kind of like, almost like the snake in her Garden of Eden or whatever. Or or being the voice to her insecurities and hatred, like kind of giving her, I don't know, like giving her the power to kind of stand against, almost like giving her the power to personify her anger and hatred towards Scott. I don't know. I just I, I like the role you played in the story. Yeah. Well, it felt it felt a little bit like the body shop though. Oh, the okay. Body shoppy, Your own with, body shoppy. With a weird looking purple guy. Right. But yeah, I mean, I, I didn't dislike, I don't dislike the story. I just, I, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of Sim yeah. um, or any of the limbo stuff, honestly. But, <laughs> but yeah, I still stick with the six because other than that, that's a brief moment. Otherwise, it's it's still a good, solid comic. A lot of great fight scenes. Oh, we should also mention another Colossus kill. Oh, yeah. Because Colossus snaps, what was this guy? Hand, he had the one of the worst, the one of the most of the... Uh, on the nose names, I think. Whip hand. <laughs> what really? That's his name, Whip Hand, because he's got hands that are whips. Oh my goodness! And yeah, Colossus Claremont was dialing it in on these. He was mailing it in on the the brood. Yeah, he was. And the Colossus breaks his neck, which is the second time Colossus has broke someone's neck. Yeah, it is. On panel. At yeah, least, maybe more. I think just the second time, though. He's a neck breaker. Which I think is interesting, because th- you think of Colossus as almost like Storm in his aversion to right. unnecessary violence, yet he's actually killed almost as many people as Wolverine. Yeah, he's you know, keeping up, him. yeah. <laughs> Obviously, Wolverine's killed lots of people. Right. But we don't. We haven't seen that. We, we've been told. <laughs> we've been told that he kills lots of people. Yeah. We're about so, yeah. to see it. <laughs> 
<laughs> no. Oh yeah. yeah. Just the just the ad for the Wolverine <laughs> Wolverine series is him standing on top of a pile we're, of bodies. We're not even going to be able to keep counting anymore. Coming up yeah. real soon. It's over. <laughs> right, well, anyway, let's get to your your overarching. All right. So my my thing, big yeah. thing is, and I I thought about this. You haven't seen you haven't seen X Men Apocalypse yet, but did you see the the hubbub about the poster they made? Yeah. Where they show... Where Apocalypse is choking uh, Mystique. Choking Mystique. So I saw that and I thought, that's kind of weird. That is a little uh, insensitive. But I noticed in this comic, there's four panels of a guy choking in the... Of the three comics we read, there's four different panels of a man choking a woman in somewhat sexual ways. And I thought about it and I thought about it some more, and I thought, you know what? It is kind of true that you the, the trope of of a man choking a woman is something you see a lot. You you see men choking men sometimes, right? But it seems like right. that happens a lot. And I thought particularly, right? So on this at two thirty four, if you look at page, uh, you look at page two, or no three where the guy jumps through the window on top of uh, Dazzler and the first panel page two, he's just kind of holding onto her, but in pa- the top of page three, he's like almost on top of her very rapey scene. Right. You mentioned the Psylocke in the car being ro- rapey where they they got the tentacles around her neck choking <laughs> yeah. her. Almost, hen- almost hentai. Yeah. 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 Mm. And then, um, and then, um, the blood on the blood dipping dripping down the bare boob probably is something we could mention. Right. But but so go back to uh, two thirty, no, not two thirty. Two uh, was the first two thirty two. Okay. And look at um, hold on, my screen messed up here. Uh, look at page uh, where it is. Uh, give me a second. Sorry. I yeah. thought I had pulled up and I, my window closed. Uh, oh, where he's choking Rogue. Oh, on, hold, on, hold on, Max. Is, that water is going to be on the recording. Oh. Come on, Max. <laughs> Thirsty dog. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. But I found the page. All right. All right. You done? Good boy. Yeah, page twenty four, right? Page twenty four, and you see you see him choking Rogue, and then the bottom one, Rogue's almost making a sex face. Uh, uh, the Dazzler one, where she's getting choked in the restaurant, is also a sexy face. Yeah, I mean, part both, of that is cases. just part and parcel with Sylvester's style. All these women kind of always have sexy faces. True, and I don't I don't say this as a. Oh, look how misogynistic Silvestri is. This, I mean, this is a product of its time, but I just thought it was an interesting thing to think about, you know, because in the news, it's been a lot the, the, you know, the jackass in uh, California that got three months for rape and all, you know, just all this stuff, this idea of sexual violence against women being in the media a lot lately. Um, And I thought, I was just thinking about this and in, in general, there's a lot more of that in our art. Then I guess I ever, as a man, 
it's, I don't notice it as much, but because I was thinking about it because of all the recent things, I thought it was interesting. And just in this three arc, you know, you have several things that came, you know, that stood out as being very rapey, very mixing sex and violence. Yeah. I think, and kind of going going back to what what kicked this off in your mind with with the poster for X Men Apocalypse, I think it's we've we've kind of have a sticky wicket with it because obviously violence against women is a terrible thing. I mean that unfortunately it doesn't always go without saying, but it should. Yeah, <laughs> you know, in a in any kind of of any kind of society anywhere, it should go without saying that the official that, position of the podcast that goes. Well, it should be the official position sure. of everybody. I mean, yeah, it should, well, that yeah. should just be. A, it's not because people are messed up, but it should be a universal truth that you should not be violent really towards anybody, but especially yeah. men should not be violent towards women. Men, men should not try to subjugate women. Like yeah. That's, it just shouldn't happen. Sexual violence is always bad. Right. There, there's, there's a thing that happens, and there's some, there's a couple other situations that I, I kind of think of that I might bring up in a minute. But with most crimes, because we're talking about like action, comics, movies, superheroes, right? Yeah. So they're fighting <clears throat> bad guys, right? People that are doing bad things. Most crimes, yeah, I don't even know if I agree with this statement now that I think about it. <laughs> well, I was going to say because there's an interesting thing you get, and I think, I think we've also glorified kind of murder to the point in our entertainment that you have this with this as well. But, but I think especially with, with violence against women, especially anything sexually violent against women, when you portray in art, media, whatever, even if you're not, even you're trying to show it as a horrible thing, there's always, it's, it's really hard to make it where it doesn't titillate somebody. Even if you're only titillating the worst of the worst perverts. But, but it's not always that way. There's been plenty of movies in the 80s where there's violence against women and the boob pops out and, you know, any 13-year-old guy is going to be like, yeah, boom, who cares if she's getting choked, you know? Because you just, you see a boob and that's well, this happened. I mean, the eighties is a is a high tide for yeah mixing sex and violence because yes. it's a time when mainstream movies started to show more at least in the early eight late seventies early eighties you saw a lot more right. nudity and think movies got a lot more violent and that's why they created the PG thirteen ready <laughs> right when it goes back I don't know if you remember uh, really showing some age here and some some film history but. There's an old movie called Straw Dogs. Yeah. That took a lot of heat. I think it was even banned in some parts of the country, if not maybe all the country. And I don't remember. I'm a little fuzzy on when it was released. I want to say it was early 70s, I think. But if I'm wrong, please don't send me hate mail. Um, but there's a scene where these guys uh, basically, you know, I think in the English countryside, I think. Again, a little fuzzy on the details. And they basically break into this house and put this couple under house arrest, like they're hostages. Yeah. And there's a scene where they kind of group rape the wife. Yeah. And it, 
at first seems like it's supposed to be this terrible scene where you're like, no, these guys are terrible. Um, it's obviously this horrific thing, but it's intercut with scenes of her thinking about like her husband and like almost like she's the way it watches almost like she's kind of enjoying it, which yeah. is super problematic and obviously caused a lot of legitimate backlash at the time. Um, right. And so I just, I think there's this, this, particularly when it comes to crimes that are sexual in nature or, or even just of men dominating women, there's always the risk of it being sexy. And if it's sexy, it's not as bad to the viewer or the reader because there's this pleasant aspect of it visually that, that probably shouldn't be there. Yeah. And so it makes it, Hard. The other thing I would say um, that also, and I'm not gonna say it's unfair, but that that makes it a little bit harder to kind of judge the way some of the modern superhero movies are done is, I almost you want to make the women characters as strong as the men characters. Yeah. So you don't want them just like you don't just want Scarlet Witch fighting Black Widow. Like you want to see them mix it up with the, like they're all Avengers. Everyone's equal. Everyone's strong. Everyone's hero. All fight each other. It's not like ooh, the fight segregates. You girls go over there. Y'all fight. We're gonna fight over here with the men. You know. And so, if you're gonna fight equally, then there's gonna be times when. Because to me, I thought it was more of just there's a there's a moment where the bad guy gets the upper hand. Now I haven't seen the movie. What I kind of gathered, for for better or for worse, is that Mystique is kind of the field leader. That's the way it seems from the previews. The, how it plays out in the movie is actually pretty relevant. Because in the movie, it's just like part of a fight scene, and I didn't even really notice it in the movie. Right. It's the poster. I think it's that still <laughs> image. The big billboard on the highway. That they, right. that they chose, this is the poster they're going to display. Right. I agree with you in the context of fighting. I think what is problematic is that in the con in these contexts of fights where you have a superhero fighting another superhero, yes. we have these moments where the, the female superhero becomes the frail object and is being – because how many times do you see a superhero man fight and then suddenly the – the bad guy is choking the man hero and he looks like he's give it up. Like he's like, Oh, head back, <laughs> mouth open. True. It doesn't happen. Right. You know, you don't have, you don't, you very rarely, I should say have man versus man fights where there is any kind of sexuality in that or woman versus man fights. And, and, you know, when it's the woman fighting the woman on the other, the upper hand, where there is a sexuality to what's happening. And it's these, these still images of things that I think are drawn in a way that sometimes, again, I'm not calling out Silvestri or anybody because I think the, the, the real problem is not these individual cases. It's this, it's an endemic part of, of the, you know, art, I guess of, of the comic world of the, of the, I mean, all the Gamergate stuff, I don't know. Yeah, I, I would say, and not not to paint in too broad a strokes, but I, I think what you're kind of saying or going for, and I would 
at least to some degree agree is that is it's particularly epidemic among the geek culture. Yeah. And I think it's it plays into I don't know. It just plays into it. And I guess my my point is not to I don't know. It just I just thought it was interesting that I right. never I never really realized how common that was, I guess. Until pointed out, I thought, oh, that is, that does look bad when I saw the poster. Right. I was like, that, yeah. that is kind of pretty insensitive. Um, and then and just to pick it up so many times here and this, and I thought, oh, that's weird. That, that is a weird part that there is, a, 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 you know, that connection of, of sex and violence, which you right. know, it's not new. It's been around for a long time. Yeah. So okay, another thing I kind of just thought of, do you think Claremont and or Silvestri or both together, do you think in a, in their mind, were they trying to soften the violence by having like a choke as opposed to like having a guy punch the girl in the eye? Like, do you think they thought, well, I want him to fight, but I don't want to show the guy like beating a girl. So. That's a good question. I, I, I'd be curious. I don't, I don't necessarily know if it's much better in the outcome, but I'm just wondering what the intent was. Like if they, they thought through it or they just kind of like, oh, let's just draw, you know, just, you know, yeah. choke. Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> I think the problem becomes like in the movie poster, for example, I think what is particularly bothersome about that or particularly striking for me is the terror in Mystique's eyes. You know, it's not like a warrior and another warrior in the middle of a battle. It's where, you know, suddenly Mystique, who's a badass suddenly becomes this terrified creature in the arms of this big, strong man. And then on, I think that, in that case, the kind of terror in her face is stark. And then in the case of the what, we're talk, what we looked at here in the comic here, the kind of sexualness of it. Like in the right. pictures where it looks like they're almost in ecstasy rather than in the middle of and battle. That would be I, a common criticism, especially of modern Sylvester, that... And all yeah. the women kind of have constant O face, which you know, and that's again part of what what Sylvester is going for, and what a lot of these guys in this era did, right? And yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll probably we'll probably have some of these same conversations when we get to the the thick of Jim Lee's run as well. Yeah, but I won't ever say anything bad about Jim Lee. <laughs> yeah, but I I mean, and to give people credit. Claremont has gone a long way to make really strong female characters. Right. And so you, you really can't, you can't fault Chris Claremont so much because of, you know, the era he's working on, he's gone a long way. Um, and yeah, other, our other writers obviously have too, you know, and other comics and other books at the time. But I think the X-Men particularly were at the forefront of creating like you, like you said in the past, not damsel in distress characters who you know superheroes, female superheroes who are powerful but still end up the the victim somehow and in all these different cases and, and right. creating badass characters. Yeah, and it's artistic representation, but I don't know. It's just interesting something to think about. Yeah, no, that's that was a. <laughs> really good conversation to have, I think. Um, All right, so listeners, let us know what you think. What do you What do you propose to solve this? <laughs> How do you propose to solve this issue? Yes. Send your solutions to email. Um, no, yeah. but I mean, it, it is one of those things, and 
Yeah, I mean, you just you hope that someday it gets better. And well, and I gotta say, and I'll, I never really, again, the, the idea that I never picked up on a lot of this stuff, and I'm, I'm, I'm a nerd, but I'm not that deeply invested. I think in kind of what you know, I'm using air quotes here, kind of geek culture, nerd culture, as we, as we we get into the 20th century, and, and geek culture becomes mainstream. Anyway, the point of that is, I, so I, it's a funny thing I don't really picked up on, and the Gamergate thing is one I'll, I'll just mention because again, I heard about it and I didn't really know anything about it or what it meant or really understood what was happening. Um, but I have a, a friend, a student who's now a friend, who is a is a female but is a big time gamer, and she's told me stories that I can't even believe about how people treat her online. Right. You know, playing games. Just playing regular old, or you know, um, online gaming with people just come up, you know, to say the most horrific things. It's just like I can't even believe this is a real thing that that people are so <laughs> can be so hateful and violent. And obviously, you know, obviously people can be pretty horrible. Well, especially and, and so online, and they're they're hiding so behind. Context, but, yeah, yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I was kind of taken aback by that, and so I've thought about that a lot more lately. And then this, you know, kind of picking up on this idea about how how there really is a, a really a deep misogyny in so many parts of our culture, you mm-hmm. know, beyond just the cool guys that we all thought were, you know, the, the tough guys that we always thought were uh, were misogynist. Turns right. out, everybody. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a much bigger problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Uh, it. I think it becomes particularly even more difficult and complicated as a parent. And I don't have a daughter, and you have a daughter, so it's probably even worse. But you know, yeah. like the idea that we've, we've got to try to be the, the agents of change in our own families, and like making sure like that we instill the values we want to see, which yeah. would be against what we're talking about. you know. And so it definitely kind of puts things in a different perspective when it's not just this is what I think, and you know, let's talk about it. But you know, it, it's funny because it, there's, there's there's a lot of things when you're raising your kids. You like, <laughs> you give them options, and you say offer views or opinions or whatever, and you you let them choose what they want to become. Yeah. But stuff like this is like I don't really want to give you a choice. I I need to make sure I raise you <laughs> to see that these things are wrong. Yeah. regardless of what you may or may not have felt on your own, like it's my job as a father to make sure that you understand that we're supposed to treat, you know, genders as equal. <laughs> you know? right. And that's just a base, like baseline element of being a human being, you know, and it's yeah. not, it's not a matter of, of choosing a religion or choosing an education or anything like that. Like this is, this is non-negotiable and it's hard because even, you know, like simple things, like you just have to be careful, like not to let the slippery slope begin. You know, I've, me and Ethan have had a couple of conversations lately where he said things about, oh, that's for girls. I've had to be like, no, that's that's not really such a thing. You know, yeah. people like what they like, and you shouldn't, you shouldn't let them like what you, they like, and you like what you like, and everyone kind of goes about their business. Like there's not four boys or four girls or whatever, and I know that's. Even all, even even of itself is a hot topic, you know, because we have all the that's when Target took down the boys and girls <laughs> sign in the yeah. toy, toy section, right? Yeah, which is sad. 
that people even noticed yeah. or cared. Like it should just be, duh. <laughs> yeah. But it's oh. it's just weird. Like as as quote unquote advanced as we've gotten, how there's still so many things we're so backwards on, and I guess that's been the human problem forever. You know, we take steps forward, we take steps back, and we just all have yeah. to do our part to try to be better. So. Yeah, that's all we can do. Use your podcast as a platform to to preach equality. Yeah, just like the preacher in these comics. <laughs> exactly. And William, what was his name? Coverson. Uh, Con Converse. Converse. Yes, William Con- Chuck Taylor Con- Converse. <laughs> Converse. No, it was, it was Con. It wasn't Conway, but it was something like that. I thought. Uh, do, 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 do. I'll find it in a second. I'll find it first. Conover. Conover. We're William Conover. Conover? Conover. Conover. Why don't you come on over? Hey, Yeah. Well, anyway, um, we, so ended, box. we ended the podcast on a very serious note, but I think it's important. <laughs> we should always start doing that. <laughs> we should. We should. In the podcast, we'll pick a topic and go. <laughs> <laughs> So next week, Trump <laughs> brood, brood orthodontics. What do you think? Yeah, I think they need some braces. Okay, Cameron took a hard stand. Took a firm stance. Firm stance. Brood, get some braces. Yeah. <laughs> Although the the Wolver brood, uh, his teeth are pretty straight. Yeah, yeah, they were. I mean, they were still gnarly, but they weren't. They weren't all sharky. What was the name of this guy that spit stuff out of his mouth? Uh, Spitfire? Spit. <laughs> was that really it? I hope not. It sure. was something like that. Oh, gosh. Yeah, he, he, he mailed it in. You know, it, was really, it was really funny. Like, there was literally no effort put into the names. You call this guy a crusher. He crushes stuff. <laughs> this guy spits stuff. Yep. <laughs> Anyway, but overall, great a great. Um, I don't know if it's better than the first one. I don't think so, but it's really good. But it, it's it's really different than the first one. Yeah, and so that makes it up there, you know. Yeah, no, it's a very... they do a good job of of separating it out without uh, yeah without being too redundant. Because I mean, the brood. You think as great as the original story was. It is kind of like how how can something different happen? Right. How's it going to be that different? I mean, they try to take over it, people. They don't. Yeah. In the story. X-Men stop them. Okay, we yeah. got it. They're going to take over different people in a different place. <laughs> but you know, but the the superpowers thing that um throws throws a, a, a nice wrench into it. So I, I'm curious to see because there's not a whole lot of good brood stories after this. In my memory, I could be wrong. Maybe we'll get yeah, to some. I don't, and I'll I don't like, remember ever caring about the brood after this. Yeah, but but well, yeah, before reading back this point and back, right? So it, it would be interesting to see where they just become like weird '80s alien movies. I think they show up again at some point, either like turning into the '90s. I think I feel like. Yeah. Jim Lee's, I know they come back, but Jim I don't. Lee I don't remember the story. Him, but, what the story was about. Yeah. I vaguely remember not caring about it, but right. I don't remember for sure. Anyway, yeah, we gave we gave very high grades. So, 
I guess let's go ahead and wrap up. Um, okay. Any any just closing general thoughts you want to hammer home? Um, no. All right. Preacher's wife looks like a stewardess. She kind of did. About yeah. that little tie she's wearing makes her look like she's on a plane. Yeah. It's not really important, but I, I think that's a good. I think it's a good way to wrap up the story. Uh, yeah, I will also throw in that the video game, the ads in these three comics, you can tell that they're at the pinnacle of their sales because the ads are all awesome. Yeah. It had the old Gunsmoke Nintendo game, which is one of the first Nintendo, when I bought my first Nintendo, it's one of the first Nintendo games I had. Yes, yeah, there's a Double Dragon ad. Uh-huh. Um yeah, that There's some G.I. Joe action figures. Yeah. Metal um, Gear Solid. Rambo video game ad. Metal Gear Ultra, I mean. And the Rambo one, the acclaim the old acclaim game is like actually like a a shot from the movie. Yeah. Uh, it's a photograph in the ad. It's pretty pretty uh pretty cool. Yeah, no, you yeah. People were paying for X Men ads. Yep. I wonder if it was about the Super Bowl. I wonder do they they pay more to advertise in like Uncanny and Amazing, or if you just good question. Or if I you just that. paid Marvel and they stuck you in every book. I also good... I also saw something interesting, by the way, kind of an off subject as as we apparently that's what we're going to do this episode. Um, <laughs> you know, because I've I've talked about the difference that the Gwen between Gwyneth Oliver, like in the X Men book. And the colorist and amazing Spider-Man, like the big books, kind of have still kind of that. I they've moved to some digital coloring, like in the early digital process, but it still looks very organic. Whereas yeah. the books like Alpha Flight, Avengers, have this very glossy, almost like very over digital, kind of laid over colors. Like it's not, and doesn't to me doesn't have as much depth. Right. But I thought it was interesting because. Those are the guys coloring the book. Yeah. But I was noticing, I was looking at house ads. And I particularly noticed a house ad for the introduction of Typhoid Mary in the Daredevil series. Yeah. And the ads in Uncanny X-Men and Amazing Spider-Man are kind of that faded, deep, old, comic-looking colors. And the ad in Alpha Flight was colored, but the ad was colored different. Or maybe just printed different, made the colors look different. I'm not sure. But I thought it was very interesting because it, I don't, I mean, you don't have different colorists doing the ads for book. Like they're not, that's not their job. Yeah. So I guess it's just a printing thing. I just thought it was very interesting. Yeah, it is The ads look different based on where they were printed. Yeah, I hadn't noticed that. That looks, that, that's interesting. It's an interesting transition in this era. Yeah, definitely. All right, cool. Well, Cameron, thanks for coming on. Why don't you give everybody your Twitter? Oh, at Cameron Sinclair. All right. Anything you want to me. mention? Um, nope. Cool. Again, I got some online history classes. If anybody got a lot of spots left in my Texas history class, my Mexican American history class, if there you're you interested, yeah. look us up. Brookhaven College. <laughs> Sounds I don't good. talk much about comics, though. No. No, in my online class, in my lecture classes, I do mention comics. Nice. Cool. Well, for the podcast, of course, like the Facebook page. Twitter is at Snickcast. Email Snickcast at Yahoo.com. And show notes at Snickcast.podbean.com. 
the next flashback episode, we will introduce Genosha. So that's oh, cool. Yeah. 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 So until next time, again, thanks, Cameron, for coming on. And for everybody else, hugs and snicks. Bye. See ya. And snacked. <laughs> <laughs>